aroha ki te tangata, ahakoa ko wai te tangata. Love people in spite of who they are. Tēnā tata katoa e whakarongo mai ki te hotaka nei a te ahikā. Ko Maraia Rakuraku ahau, I'm Maraia Rakuraku. And I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. In the Where Are They Now segment that kicked off last week, we caught up with 1990s singer Marie Sheehan. This week it's the turn of Medinia Gillies. Wow, Medinia! <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it is great to see you performing up with this lineup. Oh, thank you very much. You know, my cousins and I used to always say, What happened to that girl, Mirinia from Fakatani? I know, I You're know. You're such an amazing singer. You oh. are such an amazing singer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> If you're a hearty ngāti, or if you have whakapapa te ngāti parau, a small training group based in Farikahika are doing their bit to revitalise your reo. I remember going home from um, Waikato one day to my, um, to my uncle Stone Wano. I said, uncle, I keep getting my papers back and it's got red marks all over it. I can't get my R's and O's right. He says, I said, so can you help me? He says, well, you say ko tōku hoiho. Right? Ko taku hoiho, right? It's still your horse. <laughs> Hard case, all right. And anyone learning te reo Māori for the first time can tell you that R and O categories can be real tricky. Ani Pahuru Huruwai shall be joining us later on tonight, so stay locked in. I'm Maraia Rakuraku. I'm Justine Murray, and this is Te Ahika. When you have a baby, you are flooded with advice and information, and one of the first things parents of newborn babies hear is... No co-sleeping. That is, no sleeping with the baby in your bed. Now, as any breastfeeding mother will tell you, the ease of having the baby just there and the comfort it provides to the baby and the parent, well, there's nothing quite like it. Yet, it comes down to a safety issue, or it has, in some of the coroner rulings where babies have tragically died when adults have mistakenly smothered or rolled onto them while co-sleeping. That prompted the creation of peepee pods, a sturdy fabric made bassinet that can be placed comfortably in a bed with a baby in it. Using a mannequin baby called Te Aroha, Justine got a first hand demonstration of how peepee pods work with Makiri Nepe up to Thorstenson at Waipukuro Central House. What is a peepee pod? A peepee pod is a safe bed for our babies and it's actually made out of. <coughs> I'm just stripping everything. It's a plastic carton and it's safe sleeping space for more vulnerable babies. Um, the rules of the protection is on the back, face clear, only baby in here, every sleep, everywhere, always breathing, smoke free air, drugs and drinking, nowhere near, own space, yes, care. Lovely peer pee pod. So, and it's okay. literally like a pod, like something that, you know, pees in a pod. It's like a cushion comfort area for baby. Yeah, I'd say, but it's, but it's actually a mobile one. You can actually, um, instead of, uh, you can take it anywhere with you. Okay, so we've got this plastic container, which I'll call, I'll call a moinga. When you apply for a peppy pod, it's usually if the mother's, the risks are if a mother's been drinking or smoking when they've been happy with their baby. 
So hence the reason these mothers are first um, are prior to having a peepee pod. Okay, if your baby is under six months and if you smoke and if the baby is bottle fed or premature or underweight or unwell or sleeps with you, your baby needs extra protection while they sleep. Hence the reason why we give these peepee pods out. The peepee pod is a safe space for babies more vulnerable for accidental suffoca suffocation. When we were told about the peepee pods, DHB and Hastings decided that um, they would do funding for the peepee pods. Uh, we had a lady called Sue. So you spoke about the earthquakes, um, Makere, in terms of, are you saying that these were created as a result of, of the earthquakes in Christchurch with houses being um, damaged? Like, yes, they How were. did these come about? They came about after the earthquakes because the mothers fed for the baby's safety. Hence is the reason how these peepee pods came out. And with all the earthquakes that were going down in Christchurch, um, these peepee pods have, uh, have been a real life saviour to the mothers down in Christchurch. So up here in Central Hawks Bay, we have been, we were, um, we had a workshop about them, and um, so we've decided that to come on board and help mothers out there that need the peepee pods. You get a mattress with your peepee pod, yep. you get the whole linen and all that, that goes with the peepee pod for your baby, and um, don't, it's okay. Don't sleep baby on, on, on their tummy. Baby has to be kept on his or her back. On the back. On the back. Not on their tummy because of suffocation and all that. So in the peepee -pee pods you've got a little cot cover that goes into the plastic container mm -hmm. that goes in. And these are provided? And these are all provided. You can't walk into no, a shop? You and can't walk into the shop. Um, I was very lucky at Central Health. Our boss gave all our staff a day where they, we, they sewed the, the garments for the peepee -pee pods to go into. Okay? Kapai. So you've got the, the base first that goes down, then you've got the mattress. Okay, the sheet. The, usually mums just put the baby on a mattress. Okay, no. The sheet goes under the mattress first. I'll, I'll tell you why in, in a minute. Baby goes down on the mattress. Okay, the sheet goes under the mattress, and then baby goes in. Here's our baby Chiaroha. She goes in. You also get given a merino wrap. Why is it um, merino in particular? Merino is safer. It's safer for baby because if baby's going to roll over or whatever, the merino won't come up to her mouth or to her airway. It's going to be free. So you get a free, uh, you get a free merino wrap. So you wrap baby ordinary, like how you do any other baby. Okay, you put her in to her little pipi moinga. Okay, so if baby's going to be lifting her arms up or wanting to yawn or whatever, her arms are going to come out, but the rug is not going to come up. It's going to stay there. Mm -hmm. All right? So, coming back to the sheeting, we're going to do it normally. If baby's going to move around, if we just have a look, Justine, down here. Okay, so she's going to move, and these ain't going to come up above her face or whatever. These are our peepee -pee pods, they're new out. We had one in Takapo that we um, had our first mama, and this is our first baby. 
Oh, nice. So there's a picture of a, of a pipi in this book of, uh, in a pipi pod. Yep. He was our first pipi in Takapo, Kohangareo pipi. And so with the um, help of his mama and, um, yeah, his mum especially, because when he was born, he was sleeping on his tummy. Mm -hmm. oh. So mum persevered, and once he got into the pipi pod, now slept on his back. And so these are just a couple of photos with mum. Yep. You know, just having baby in the pipi pod and all that. But there are booklets out there. The other things I just want to say is, the baby's warning can actually be put into bed with mum and dad. So this can be, this actual whole thing can be picked up and put into the, yep. in the middle of mum and dad. And in the middle of mum and dad. And so... Oh yes, so you've got a picture I've of... I've got a picture here showing how a baby is in bed with mum and dad in her um, pipi pod. So a lot of people kind of look and think, hmm, this is a dangerous, but it's not. Once you see how the baby's morning goes into bed and how the blankets don't suffocate baby because mm -hmm. they're still going to be in the same place and all that, but the mother in Takapa was very pleased with the pipi pod and, and her baby being in it. So, yep, she just puts a weed around. So there's a lot of these in Christchurch, do you think, Makere, have been oh, used? <coughs> Heaps. Well, it came out of... Yep, came out, and up in um, um, Napier and Hedatonga, um, Kaipenua or Hedatonga, they've got nurses out there, so they've been um, really popular. Um, we deal with choices down here in Waipakaro, so we gave 10 baby pods out to them, because it was just, um, the news down here was just so... Unbelievable, everybody was wanting the pipi pods. So, you know, the um, midwives and all that, you know, when they check out their mothers and all that, tell them about the pipi pods. So, yeah, that's one of our little... And isn't that a choice name? It yeah. is, it rolls, is. Rolls off the tongue. Well, well it's a different name, pipi pod, and it's, and it's for our mamas and our babies. Kia ora, Maikere Nipe Up to Thorstenson. And there's photos of Maikere in the pipi Te Aroha. They're at our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. That's T E A H I K AA. And remember, you can always email us at Te Ahika at radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Mariah Rakraku. And I'm Justin Murray, and you're listening to Te Ahika. When it comes to Te Reo Māori, the language can vary from iwi to iwi. So, for example, where I'm from, we drop NGs. So, words like mahunga word for head, that's spelled M-A-H-U-N-G-A, while it still is written M-A-H-U-N-G-A, is actually said mahuna, and that applies the same to tangi. Looks like tangi, T-A-N-G-I, but is actually said tani. And you can have some pretty hard case situations when tuhoi speakers speak English. Seening that son. Down south in Ngaitahu or Kaitahu, they replace NGs with a K. So Karanga, which is to call, becomes Karaka. Aurangi, which is the name of the Maunga, uh, becomes Auraki Maunga. And in Taranaki or Whanganui, there's the removal of the H from their dialect. So while it's written with the H like in Tahi, T-A-H-I. It's actually said like the H is silent, becoming Ta'i. And then there's stylistic differences that develop over time. Just think of how in the US, different regions have distinctive accents, that while everyone communicates in English, there are, well, differences. 
Well, apply that to Aotearoa, or more specifically the East Coast, and Ngāti Parau. Ani Pahuru Huriwai is a course coordinator at Te Urirangi o Te Mātauranga, a charitable trust running undergraduate courses with Te Wānanga Orokawa. That's all about securing and enhancing the Ngāti Parau way of life. Now, the audio quality isn't too flash, but hang on in there, it gets better. What we have at the moment is a problem, uh, an immediate problem in the next five to ten years, uh, and right now, and that we have, uh, if I use our own paipai as an example, we have one uh, kaikōrero who services seven marae, and we've got one of, one of him in every hapū who services uh, all of our marae at home. It's not, a, it's not an easy task. We've developed, this programme is helping to bring people home, helping people to think about coming home permanent, on a more permanent basis. And what we've also um, learnt over the, over the time is that there are many, many languages of Ngāti Purai, um, and they differ uh, from hapu to hapu. So where Uncle Hone comes from, in Rangitukia, is very different to everywhere else. And Tokomaru has their own flavour, as does Farekahika, as does Uawa. <coughs> So who are we? <coughs> um, te Rirangi o Te Mātauranga uh, has is a charitable trust, uh, became a charitable trust last year, but we've existed for about six years. Uh, prior to that, we were known as Te Kurawana o Heneripu, uh, when in 2004 we began delivering undergraduate studies for Te Wānanga o Raukawa. Um, my role with that, I'm the voluntary CE, <laughs> the difference between Te Aroha Kanarahi Trust and Tūrirangi is that it's specifically focused on where I live, which is up in Matakawa. Te Urirangi, um, spans the whole breadth of Ngāti Purau. Of course, uh, Uncle Koro was one of, the, was one of our, our pau in the beginning. Uh, he was the one who sort of said, right, this is how we're going to do te reo. No, we're not going to do that other reo. We're going to do this reo, Ngāti Pro reo, which caused all sorts of problems because we, what's that? What is that? <laughs> and we didn't have a programme, so we had to create one. He also said, there's only one text you use for Ngāti Pro reo, and that's Te Rangatahi, 1962. I said, uncle, <laughs> we can't get the book anymore. No, 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 kārehe puka puka tuatu i tēnā. Tēnā, 1962, and, and Te Rangatahi to 1969 and 1974. So, heka, you know, unless you went to, I'm sure, if you, if you fellas are from St. Joe's or, you know, one of the Māori schools, I'm sure in your fellas' basement you've got a stack of those, please send them to Whare Kahika. So, <laughs> so what we did instead, because it was a huge issue for us, we, our students needed the book, we couldn't get the book. Um, managed to scrape some up of Trade Me, those very first editions were written by Hwani Waititi. And it's as close to, well, it's to Te Whanapanui Reo. It's the closest to uh, Ngāti Pro Reo as we can get. And how do we fix the problem? We had a problem in that we had no books, no money <laughs> to get the books, no money to print books. So we thought, oh, well, what, well, we'll start to try and build something online. So we created this thing called Te uh, Inati, He Konayako. Uh, so it's to it's it's again most departments would most 
real departments have a whole barrage of people, experts, running around doing things. We have a part-time IT technician who is also, um, she started, I met her, she's my, she's my niece, um, but she, she came home to do a diploma in Mātauranga Māori, but she's actually a qualified IT technician. So she's actually built this. Her name is Jamisa Boyd. Her mother is Georgina Boyd Kirikiri. And um, she has built this from scratch. Uh, we, we have her five hours a week. And we have an editor, uh, Kingston Cooper, who's moved home. Um, and he, he's done his um, translation certificate and those types of things. And so he, uh, he checks our reo. And then we have our reo kayako who are employed by Te Wānanga Raukawa and they help to prepare the resources, the, the tests and everything, and they regularly Skype and have ruma kōrero chat rooms with their students. So while they live in uh, Wharekaheka or Gisborne or wherever, um, they have to maintain contact with their students um, every week. And the beauty is those uh, reo kayako are all um, native speakers of Te Reo, all Ngāti Purai. So I just wanted to put that in the context of we don't have a huge real department behind this. We don't have a lot of money behind it. Uh, the only money that we had, we, we were uh, fortunate to get a little grant from Māori, to help us to get this off the ground. And with Te Aroha Kanarahi Trust, uh, we were also able to access the money before we became a charitable trust. They helped us to get money from um, Eastern and Central Community Trust and other philanthropic um, organisations. So without those uh, groups, we wouldn't have got this far. So it's not, it's, you know, you haven't got putatas coming out in the karanga and everything and a whaikōrero and a wero. And it's very, like, it's like our reo, Ngāti Pro just simple to the point. Straight up, get into it, you know, no muck around. And um, Uncle Koro used to say to me, our reo is simple. It's a simple language, te reo Māori. Ngāti Pro reo is very simple, but it got overcomplicated by academics. And um, as I've sort of grown into that, I realised, yeah, kei te tika on a kōrero. Um, we forget to call it all Māori because we're worried about are we saying a verb, and a pronoun, an adjective, is it in the right place, you know? And so what happens, you just don't talk. And ko te kōrero te mea nui, kia I remember going home from um, Waikato one day to my, um, to my uncle Stone Wano. I said, uncle, I keep getting my papers back and it's got red marks all over it. I can't get my R's and O's right. He says... I said, so can you help me? He says, well, you say, ko tōku hoiho, right? Ko hoiho, right? It's still your horse. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, what's that mean? <laughs> and what he meant, what he said, and I now know what he, well, I understand what he said, is that mā te kōrero, yeah, it's still your horse. So, so Hekonoyako is in its infancy. We've only just started it, really, and our students are using it, and our, and our kayako are using it for the first time um, this year. The, this software is called Moodle. 
Um, it's open source software. It's free. So down here, um, they go into... You've got a papakupu, papa and the, the glossary there is taken from, the, from te rangatahi, and also um, our kaiako are able to add to the papakupu. Um, so a lot of the, the Ngāti Purau terminologies, like kaitaha, things like that, can be added to the papakupu. The ruma kōrero is where the students come in, and they can have a weekly chat with their, with their mates and with their kaiako. Um, Waiata Karaki and Himene, this is where they can get their, um, they all get, we teach the top 10 on the hit parade in Ngāti Purau for their mōtiotia, so that when they go to tangi and things like that, they know, uh, they know the top 10. Every year they learn three, and um, they get these. So they get the kupu, and they get the rangi. So when they come to class, when we have a huiru, we have three wānanga reo a year, uh, huiru maki reo. They should have no excuses as to not knowing these because they have the rangi and they have the kupu. And harira heka, takotomae heka, those are those are standards on our on our marae at home. So they all get these uh, on there as well are our himene and uh, karakia and they can link to those wherever they are in the world. On here, I'll just see if we can get this one to go. There's Tamahai. Some of you will recognise Tamahai. Anyway, what's on here, you've got the sound file. Um, it's their kayako reading that. Uh, this is a year one class, so they can hear how do they pronounce the real. Um, so they don't come to class saying kawi, kwei, Owl or whatever they say, so they get um, they listen to their kayako, and because they don't see their kayako until they get uh, home for the wānanga reo, um, they get used to her voice or his voice. So kwaratarato kitereo ake o warato kayako. It's been interesting getting our pakeke used to this because they're all native speakers, they're all Ngāti pro pakeke. And uh, some of them are technos, I mean, they're all becoming techno nannies and papas now. So um, that's really exciting to, uh, to see the transition from mataku kite, you know, they're scared they're going to break the, break the ruruheko, to uh, not going to bed till one, two in the morning because they're having such fun on these. So there's lots of quizzes, we're building up crosswords and um, lots of multiple choice things for the students to, to have a tutu with as well as our, um, what we want to be able to do is add video uh, of one of the things that Te Rurangi o Te Mātauranga is very um, passionate about, is maintaining the integrity of our classic Ngāti Pro Haka and Waiata. And that, that's probably one of the other great things about marae-based studies, is that everybody in class is your whanaunga. Now, the students are learning online, but when they come home, um, you can read in a book about your whakapapa, you can see photos, you can, you know, you can see it online even, but you don't make a way to a connection until you put your feet on the ground and you walk in the footsteps of your tipuna and you feel the cold of hikurangi. Only then will you, you know, you make the, the holistic uh, connection to your reo, to your whakapapa, your whenua and your whanaunga. Yeah, 
kei te whakaira nei te nuinga o te hau kāinga uh, ka whakahoki mai anō te reo o whare kāhika o te taira whiti uh, i tēnei wā. Ki te kāinga tonu. Um, well, ko te waimari e ki te kāinga, kei te tū ngā kura kaupapa ngā whare kura, kei te kauea te reo i reira. Uh, ko te mateke, ko, wa, ko ngā mātua o ngā tamariki. Uh, ko te mateke, ka haere ngā wā, ngā tamariki ki te kura, a ko ai, ka hoki ki te kāinga, ko te reo i te kāinga, ko te reo pākeha. Nā ka noho te reo Māori, he reo kura. For those of you who need a translation, um, what my, what my whanaunga hemi was asking was whether or not, um, whether or not the people at home are wanting this programme. To, and one of the things that we have at home is we have kura kaupapa and whare kura, which are very good. Um, but one of, the danger, one of the things that we're struggling with is that the children go home to English-speaking homes. So our language becomes a something they do at school. And when they come home, it's not what they speak. So my role as an adult educator and those of us who, who do this, and e hara taku toa i te toa takitahi, i toa taki mano ki. Uh, all of those people that, that help make this machine roll, um, there's lots of them. And I think with, um, that's the challenge that we have as adult educators, is to make the real appealing to my generation, our generation, um, so that our children are, are hearing te reo all the time. It's improved over the 10 years that I've been home. Um, it's, it's gotten a lot better. So you're hearing te reo Māori uh, more and more in the community. Our pakeke are seeing, our tamariki want it, our mokopuna want it, um, and our students who are enrolling in our programs, they want te reo. So they'll go to the, to the RSA and they'll be sitting there having a wānanga in te reo. And the pakeke, ka noho whakamanga pakeke te rongo i te reo. The, our pakeke are saying that they're speaking English, they have the reo. And our students are, are making them speak te reo because they can hear them speaking te reo, so they, they speak te reo. So it's, it's a slow um, process, but it is happening. And um, we, have a, we have a goal, um, not, not just me, but our, my other whanaunga at home, um, who, who have a passion for te reo Ngāti Purau, to make sure that reo is spoken in every home again. Me, me pēhia, me tauira. Kōrero i te kāinga, kōrero i te au i te pō. Ki ngā wāhi katoa. Kia ora, Anipahuru Huriwai, and that was recorded at Pipitia Marae at Wellington a couple of weeks ago at the education conference Tuia Te Ako, put together by Ako Aotearoa. Aira, he mihi anō ki a nāhiwi apanui and Vanessa Bidwa. To listen to the kōrero again, head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Despite reading and rereading the publicity material for weeks for the International Arts Festival production Barefoot Divas Walk in My Shoes, I'm wondering who this Meranea of Romani Māori blood is, as there's no photos. Now, just quietly, a little part of me is thinking, hmm, really? Romani blood? Okay, she's based in Australia, right, so I'm Aussie. Might be one of those Māori brought up in Aussie not knowing anything about being Māori and exoticising themselves a little. 
sitting in the back row audience watching a dress rehearsal. I'm ticking off in my head who's who. Okay, there's Macy Lika, tick. Fiddy Michael Black, tick. Emma Donovan, the Aboriginal singer. Cool fro, tick. Naida, the Papua New Guinean woman. Man, she looks cool, tick. Okay, so that leaves the only other woman on stage wearing that amazing caftan. That must be Medanir, tick. Okay, well, at least I know what she looks like now. And yeah, she does look a little Romani, I guess, though I don't actually know what looking Romani looks like. Duck straight hair, looks about 20-ish. Gee, she's tiny. Is she hapu? And then she opens her mouth and starts singing, which is when I recognise her. Yes, Medanir Gillies. Medanir, who I first saw in the 90s around the same time I was performing in a band at university. Her voice was so unusual, so powerful. She had the natural stage presence that I lacked completely. And boy, could she belt it out. And she was Māori. There was an affinity, though I had nowhere near her talent or songwriting ability. And then it's like she disappeared, though I figured she did what we all did. Grew up and moved into, inverted commas, a real job. Wow, Medanea! <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it is great to see you performing up with this lineup. Oh, thank you very much. You know, my cousins and I used to always say, What happened to that girl Medanea from Fukatani? I know, I You're know. You're such an amazing singer. You I, are such an amazing singer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> went to Australia, I signed a big record deal and went there, and um, things didn't really work out too well um, with the record deal, but that's actually quite a fortunate. So thing. this must have been early 90s, right? Yeah, it was 93. Mm. Um, but that was quite fortunate because now that I'm a lot older and wiser, I think the record deal that I signed at at, at 18 years old was was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. It would have taken me 20 years to get out of it. So, And, um, yeah, it didn't work out, but I got out of that deal unscathed and then I was just able to... Um, basically, I had to start working as a musician, but in a much more intense way than I ever did in New Zealand. And... Um, there's a lot more, culturally, there's, there's a lot more different types of music you can work in in Australia because there's a really, really strong world music scene. So then I ended up singing in about, now I sing in about seven languages. Wow. <laughs> and um, we'll tour, tour with Latin bands, Brazilian bands, Afro-Cuban bands and um, So you've still African been doing bands. the live circuit? I've, I've done a lot of live stuff. I've done a lot of a couple of years doing a lot of session stuff. Oh, yeah. I've written music for film and television since then, and I'm signed to ABC Publishing, which is their... Australian Broadcasting. Yeah, their publishing company. And, um, yeah, I basically I perform a lot. At the moment I'm on a little bit of a rest after the show because I'm six months hapu <laughs> and um, having my second child, 18 years apart. Eki <laughs> girl. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I do. I do a lot of um, different stuff, and I've I've taught music industry studies to other young, particularly work with young women. And I currently, I currently work um, a little bit. I'm working during the day at the moment because I'm pregnant. I can't really do a, mi a million gigs um, as a social worker with um, unaccompanied minor asylum seekers that come to Australia on the boats. So yeah, I've sort of. And you've still managed to stay connected in with your taha Māori? Yeah, not not as much, really, because the community is quite fractured in Sydney. Um, not to be negative, but it is quite fractured. Um, 
And also my mother is Roma Gypsy. And so as I ended up singing in all these different languages, I kind of not I kind of ended up connecting a little bit more with my Roma heritage. <laughs> but very much still with the Maori. Like to, in the show we I do one song in Spanish that we just performed before. Um, one in English and also we do I do one in Maori that I wrote in Maori. Your voice is still as powerful as I remember it. Oh, thank if you. not a bit more. Still a foghorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's been a long journey, but it's been a good journey. And I think um, you kind of get over that thing when you're young where you just like desperately want to be Madonna or want to be famous. Desperately wanting to be noticed. And it's not, it's, it's more about the musical journey. And I've been fortunate to play with some phenomenal phenomenal musicians. I, last year I did three gigs with um, the great Roy Ayers who came over from, um, from he's in New York now but he came over from New York and I was really privileged he wanted me to do three gigs with him so like that was just to work along someone aside <laughs> someone like that and and um, and I really had a great a great sort of nearly two decades coming up two decades but it's just been a massive musical journey, touring all over from China to Sri Lanka to most of Asia. Yeah, and, and often singing not in English, singing in Spanish. And I just Last year I did a tour to Sri Lanka where we, where the whole thing was in Portuguese. It was quite a demanding <laughs> repertoire, but I mean, yeah. So I, you've managed to have a fulfilling musical life since oh, I first yeah. saw you <laughs> some 20 or so years ago performing yeah. in Fakatani and in Topol. Oh, that's <laughs> God. That was that was the apprenticeship phase, I think. But um, yeah, I did. I released an album last year, uh, no, two years ago now, called Libertine, that did really well with synchronisation and has been added to a lot of Australian television shows like Pack to the Rafters and Neighbours and just nothing. But I think for me, at the moment, is is it's about the quality <laughs> of what I can do and who I can learn from. And um, it's really interesting at the moment with my day job. I'm coming into contact now with a whole lot of um, Persian and, and Afghan music and, and Arabic music. So who knows what the next record's so going to sound more like. Multicultural than. It's hearing. incredibly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. I live in Western Sydney now, like right in the guts of sort of the social experiment, as, as it were. And um, you don't really see Australians, like what you consider as white Australians. It's all Vietnamese, Cambodian, Arabic, um, Iraqi, Af a lot of Afghans, a lot of Persians, um, a lot of Polynesians, like heaps of Latinos. My my husband is Chilean, so it's it's amazing. I, oh, I really Chilean love Romani baby, <laughs> yeah. oh, Chilean Romani Maori baby. Yeah, <laughs> and the interesting thing about the Chilean thing is they, they're indigenous people in Chile are the Mapuche people and whenever I go to a Chilean function in, um, in Sydney I walk in and it's like I look around and it's like I feel like I'm at the Marae because they all look like Maoris and if you have a look at where Chile is on the map compared to New Zealand you can tell that everybody must have been Related cruising well, you, and yeah. even there's words in the Mapuche language that are the same, the same as Maori for the same, like, for the same thing. Gosh, what a totally enriching experience you're having. Yeah, I guess so. It's good. Just, you know, I've been very happy. I've been very happy and fulfilled because, yeah, it's been about the music more than anything else. Man, now I can tell my cousin what happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being. she's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> 
In a case of serendipity and whakawhanaungatanga, when I was at the Barefoot Divas show a few days later, I ran into Bob, or Bomb Gillies, a Rotorua-based 28th Māori Battalion vet. Through the course of our kōrero, I realised he was Meranea's kraua. Dun, dun. Meranea Gillies. Meranea. We said our hoorays, and as I was exiting the building, Meranea flew past me in a flurry to greet him and other waiting whānau. I smiled, because even if you're a world-class musician of some note living overseas and an adult about to have a baby, you're still part of a whānau that owes its existence to an 80-year-old waiting quietly and patiently for his granddaughter. Peter Tapsell died a few weeks ago and was buried at Whakauwe Kaipapa Marae Maketsu. Born in Rotorua, he studied medicine at Otago University, becoming an orthopaedic surgeon, and he entered politics in 1981, holding the Eastern Māori electorate seat until 1996. That was for the Labour Party. In 1993, he was appointed as the first Māori Speaker of the House. When he retired from politics, he returned to his farm in Ruatoria. Which brings us to an archival segment, Ngā Tango Kōrero, recorded in 1983. Peter Tapsell is with veteran broadcaster, the late Henare Te Ua, discussing a range of kaupapa Māori. Member of Parliament for Eastern Māori, Peter Tapsell, since his election to the House in 1981, has expressed concerns over a wide range of issues. Can I ask you to take your mind back towards the end of last year when you spoke in Tauranga to a gathering of school principals and you were advocating a New Zealand Studies program to be introduced into schools, uh, such a program to go right up to university level. What was it that prompted you to, to put forward that thesis? It was this, that wherever I go, and now particularly that I'm the member for Eastern Māori, I have a lot of my constituents asking me why Māori language cannot be made compulsory in all schools. Now... I think it would be a mistake for us to ask for Māori being made compulsory in the schools. I think it would create a backlash, and I think we would have more people against us than for us. But what I do think we ought to have in our New Zealand schools is a subject that I've called New Zealand Studies. That should involve some history, New Zealand history, some New Zealand geography, some knowledge of Māori language, of culture, of customs, the customs of New Zealand and the indigenous people, and that ought to be a compulsory subject, New Zealand studies. I've made the point several times that I believe schools ought to pay attention to the study in a, a sort of centrifugal importance, so that a school and the children in any particular school will know very thoroughly the area immediately adjacent to the school, know all the names of the mountains and the rivers, the history of those rivers and mountains, the reason why they were named, the people who lived there, the battles that took place there, all that sort of thing. And then less thoroughly, outside their area in the next province, less thoroughly in the South Island, less thoroughly in the Pacific, in the Americas, in Europe and so on. What was the reaction from the principals when you, when you spoke to them about that? It varied. One of the great problems I think we're up against in changes in the educational service, and they are the same as the changes in medicine or the changes in broadcasting or any other service, is that basically people like to teach the things that they learned. And there's a certain resistance to change. There will always be resistance to change. Uh, 
But I think we ought to change quite vigorously so far as what we teach our young people, making the range of subjects much broader based on their own area. For example, let me tell you that quite recently I visited a school in a small Maori area in the Bay of Plenty, and I found the students, most of whom were Maori, very thoroughly concerned and deeply involved in studying the family history of the Tudors. They were, at the time that I was there, most concerned with Anne Boleyn. Now, not one of those children had any idea of the captain of the canoe that had landed in the area. No one could tell me the name of the mountain which was staring at them out the window or the reason why it had been named. Now, I suggest that that is unfortunate. I think we ought to change that around and the Tudors were important in England. They are not really very important in the Bay of Plenty. Anne Boleyn, God bless her soul, really has not a great deal to offer us in the Pacific, in, in the Bay of Plenty. But I think we ought to have devised a system where children in the area should know thoroughly their own area and the history of events that took place there. I wonder if we can touch on the subject of Māori health, because I know that before you were elected to Parliament, you produced a very comprehensive paper about Māori health. Since you've been in Parliament, have you had, still had time to pursue that interest in the oh, areas yes. of Māori health? Oh, yes, but in a different way. At that time, of course, I was a health worker and involved sort of on the ground. Now I'm a legislator and involved um, more superficially, but I have not lost my interest in Māori health or, for that matter, the health of New Zealanders generally. We tend to talk about Māori health, and I talk about Māori health, and I don't do that seeking to ask for any particular privilege for Māori people. But the facts are that Māoris as a group of people have poorer health than have the rest of New Zealand. And I would do the same if, for example, we, you could show me that the people of Timaru had were health worse than the rest of New Zealand, then I would say we ought to specifically concentrate on Timaru. Now, at the moment, there is no question whatever that Māori health is much worse than that of the rest of New Zealand, the non-Māori non New Zealanders. There are many steps we could take to improve it, and we ought to do that. But I want to make the point that by far the most important steps that we can take to improve Maori health are steps which we will have to take ourselves. For example, we need to make efforts to stop smoking if we're going to avoid the lung disease and heart disease, particularly in women. We need to keep our weight down if we're going to avoid things like hypertension, obesity, all those sorts of problems. We need to take more exercise. We need to eat better food. I'd, I think that we're going to have to develop a whole new outlook on food. You know, as Maoris, we've always uh, loved our fatty foods, our pork, cream, and the like. And I think that we're going to just have to force ourselves to become more accustomed to lighter foods like salads, fruits, and eat smaller meals. Some Maoris, I'm very pleased to say, are already doing that. Some Maoris have... I travel around and they're making a real effort to serve more nutritious meals for the people who arrive. Now, I would like to support that. I think that there's a great deal we can do in improving the, our nutrition as Maori people. We probably can as improving the nutrition of New Zealanders as a whole. But certainly, so far as Maori people is concerned, there, is good, there are good grounds for special emphasis and we ought to take that. Towards the end of last year, you made a statement about more Māori language programs should be on television and also on radio. 
Has that stance in any way changed since you made that statement? Not in any way at all. And indeed, I think we've been in a very small way successful in that we now have three minutes of Māori on television in the evening. Now, I've made the point on that particular program that in two ways, firstly, it's really an insufficient period of time, three minutes, it's too short, and secondly, there's been this problem of having the television news broadcast at the same time as the radio news. Now, I can't imagine for the life of me how it can be that we have the Maori news in radio and the Maori news on television at the same time, bearing in mind there are only three minutes of the whole day. I must tell you quite frankly that that arrangement would suggest to me that there isn't really a very powerful commitment to production of Maori language programs on either radio or television. I can't imagine that that sort of thing would have happened in any other country but New Zealand, and I am very hopeful that it will be corrected before too long. What sort of Maori language programs would you like to see uh, better exposed on television and also through radio? I would like to see a range of programs. Can I talk for a moment about television because it's the new medium and I think probably the most you know, influential medium. I would like to see more news, more news about Maori people and about Maori events in Maori. I'd like to see interviews with some of the older people. We could have a range of subjects from older people on marais describing the history of that marais and the reason why it was there, the name of the big house and so on, all that sort of thing. I would like to see us go in for more drama. And while I'm talking about that, could I make the point that the recent television show Shogun showed us very clearly how it's possible using a third person to introduce an interpreter, really to interpret, without destroying the flow of the story. Now, I think that we ought to set aside a unit devoted to Maori language in television and broadcasting and radio, and we ought to provide them with adequate funds to go in for some new and really innovative ideas in, in these areas. There is, there is plenty of material available, and I would like to see the corporation make use of that material in many ways before it's too late. Some of our older people are getting older and won't be with us for always, and we should tap them while we've got them. An archival recording from 1983 of Peter Tapsell with Hinare Teua. Anaira Akahuaitoa with this week's Fakatauki. Aroha ki te tangata, ahakoa, ko wai te tangata. Love the people, no matter who they are. Uh, it means quite a lot. I actually wrote a song called Aroha ki te tangata after reading it. <laughs> and what it means to, to me is um, people may not look friendly or, uh, but, uh, or approachable, but uh, in, their, in their hearts they will have love. So, um, aroha ki te tangata, aha ko, ko wai te tangata. Ah, ko kahuai toa hau, ah, ko Ngāti Putanga, me te whānau uh, Totorewa Green, uh, oku hapū, ko Wiparai de Waito Takapapa, ko Waipaina Green, Takumama, oku marae, ko Putanga, ko Rahui, ko Hinepare, ko Kaiwaka, ko Awatere, uh, ko Hinerupe. Nō reira, uh, tēnā koutou. 
and you'll hear more from Kahu next week in our Anzac program. He'll be talking about his kuro, Hinare Waitoa, that composed the waiata tomo mai. You may know it as well as hoki mai e tamama. More on that next week. And we feature archival recordings of Pita Awatere, one of the 28th Māori Battalion commanders. As well as coverage of the dawn ceremony at the Wellington Cenotaph. Now, if you see me in Te Taitokero this upcoming week, yes, that's right, don't be shy, don't know what I look like. Well, I'm the one holding the microphones, looking very determined as I am walking towards you. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Ano nei te mihi ki ngā kai whakahaere ngā mihini. Hoki mai he te rarātapu. Mai te whanau atiahi kā kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora.